Welcome to the first episode of Washed Once Never Again, the podcast where we look at some of the most disturbing films in cinema across genres. I am your co-host, Mary Beth. And I'm Dax. And we're kicking off the podcast by looking at four films in the filmography of director Michael Haneke. We will be starting with Benny's video from 1992. But first, let's do a little discussion about Haneke himself and how we feel about this man. All right. Well, Michael Haneke, or Hanukkah, or Hanukkah, was born in... Uh, Munich, Germany in 1942. And one fact that I saw that you probably also saw is that he's somehow tangentially related to Christoph Waltz through marriage. Did you see that? Yeah, it's like his stepfather ended up marrying the mother of Christoph Waltz or something. So like technically not blood related, but like kind of related. It's related enough for me. That is all I would ever talk about if I was somehow related to Christoph Waltz. Exactly. Same. Um, I also feel like when I was reading about him, it made a lot of sense. Um, It said that as a teenager, he developed a, quote, downright contempt for any form of school. Did you also see that? I did also see that. And wow, it's starting off at a very young age. He was just like, I hate everything and everyone fuck society and fuck the way things are in scare quotes supposed to be. So he's always been kind of a sad, angry man. Uh, Sort of punk rock in a way, if you think about it. Would you consider him punk rock? No, I wouldn't. (laughs) But I was trying to be nice to him. Um, (laughs) uh, As punk rock, I guess, as a 78-year-old man can be. Yeah. So he has done movies such as Funny Games, both versions. Um, his most well-known film, I think, is Amour, which came out, yeah, 2012. And that was the movie that got him like a lot of attention. It's about um that it got nominated for a bunch of awards. And I think it's his most like palatable movie because it's about romance. It's like more like Sweet's a strong word because it's about a family dealing with a, the mo- the mother has a stroke and is paralyzed, and it's all about them trying to kind of deal with that and adjust their lives to that. Just heartwarming um, stuff. Really heartwarming. And I read that Haneke actually based this off of his own experience with his aunt who raised him, who ended up committing suicide by sleeping pills because she was so sick. And she actually asked Haneke to kill her. And he said, I can't because if I'm an inheritance, if I'm supposed to inherit like the estate, if I kill you, then I won't get it. And I don't want to like fuck all that stuff up. So that's why. Yeah. So then she ended up (laughs) purposefully overdosing. Um, That's interesting. So she also like he could get arrested because it's considered fraud. Like it's like that's what I thought he was going to say. That too. I think that's what I meant to say. And then I didn't so say So you're saying that she wanted to like, <laughs> she just wanted to die like with dignity. You're saying she was really sick. Yeah. And she wanted to die with dignity. And did. yeah. And then it's like, oh, I'll get arrested because I'm the, inher- like I am the inheritor of everything. So I, I can't. And then, so she just killed herself, which is really sad. So that's what Amor is based off of, which won like a ton of accolades, but all of his other movies are much more intense and violent and cynical. Well, that's because we both chose Marathon 
his movies. And now I understand that you're broken, right? Yeah, I watched four of them this week, the four that we're talking about in this mini series, and I feel like my spirit is broken, which is what he wants, because he's he's all about the disempowerment of the spectator, and he makes these like very self refer self-referential films which is like kind of pretentious about like breaking down the relationship of the spectator with the, the content and he's like one of the quotes he said that I really was not a huge fan of was I'm trying to rape the viewer into independence which like is not my favorite thing for him to say that was not my favorite either it's just he wants to assault the viewer and I understand that but I think putting it in context of rape puts a very like non-consensual thing into the whole relationship of like watching his movies and I mean he's an old guy who makes a lot of awful movies but it just hmm, that comment in particular kind of sets a tone for who he is as a director I think it does and you know what you know what it kind of um I hate it but it does make and because when you watch his films, you do like you signed up for it, right? You put it on, you took the disc out and put it in your player, right? Yeah. But then when you're actually watching it, you're like, this isn't what I signed up for. Like, That's true. I didn't know I was going to like get this because it's not something you would necessarily expect, in my opinion, anyway. I mean, the first movie I saw of his was Funny Games. So, like, I did expect it. But, like, if I, if the first movie I had seen was like, I don't know. The Piano Teacher. That was my first Haneke movie. That's interesting. But if you went into that movie blind, right, you're like, oh, it's a movie about a piano teacher who has an affair with her student. You're not expecting, you know, use tissues in a pornography room. Like, yeah, that movie was nothing what I thought it was going to be. So we'll talk about that in a later episode. But that was a very weird weird movie to go into without knowing anything about it. I just saw it on all these like disturbing movie lists and I was like, oh, it can't be that bad. I picked it up. I found it. Actually, I don't even know if I found it. My partner may have found it and just was like, this looks interesting. Let's get this one. And um, then it was horrible. It's great. Yeah. But it is so horrible. Yeah. <laughs> And like so, Haneke, that's how all his films are. I feel it's, like it's true. And apparently, Haneke is known for being kind of a dick on set. Like, a, I think Isabel Huppert got really fucking mad at him on one of his movies. Naomi Watts cried on Funny Games, and then the other, the German actress who played the mom in the two thousand or in the nineteen ninety seven Funny Games also cried. I think he just like puts Suzanne them through a Lothar. lot. Yeah puts them through a lot emotionally and like I think it's very demanding and a stickler for things and he's very obtuse like I think Isabel Huppert asked him like hey what's the motivation oh no the Julia Binoche was like what's the motivation for my character and he's like I don't know what do you think it is so I think he's just a very Mm -hmm. obtuse guy who doesn't want to like offer answers none of his movies really have an answer it's really up to you which I think is awesome, but also frustrating because that's not like the narrative structure we always expect. But I mean, it is a lot of his techniques are really interesting in his films. Like his personality and quotes aside, I think he is a really interesting filmmaker in terms of like how he approaches his subject matter. 
Yeah, um, I actually have a quote related to what you just said. He said, films that have too much detail and moral clarity are used for mindless consumption by their viewers. So what do you make of that? It seems like he doesn't want, he wants it to be like a two-way conversation almost with his movies. I don't think he wants someone to just watch it and then leave satisfied or happy or like without any questions. I think he really wants to like make his viewer think and offer their own maybe interpretation or thoughts to the movie. Like I at the beginning, disempowerment of the spectator. I don't think he wants, he doesn't want this to be a passive movie experience. He wants to really engage the viewer and make them queasy and sick and make them really like consider what's on screen and what, what that all means, whatever it means. I agree, except that I think he wants it to be a two-way conversation, but then dominates the conversation and tells you that you're wrong. That's what kind of guy I think he is. But he did an interview with The Guardian where he was like, no interpretation is wrong, but I mean, that's an interview with a big newspaper, like a big outlet. Like, I don't believe him. And I guess <laughs> we'll get into it, but I think that his stance on violence in media like that's what most of him his films that we're going to be talking about are about right Mm -hmm. like they're about violence in media his stance is so first of all not subtle at all no uh but it's it's so he's just so angry at you yep even though he's doing it he made it He's exactly. doing the thing that he's mad at. But also, like, he's mad at the yeah. way I think we consume media. And he's like, look at what you fucking have done. Like, look at what you've done. Like, look at what your viewing habits have done to, like, the idea of spectator. And he's just is very resentful. I think that's a good way to put it. Like, he's angry at you. And he wants bitter. to torture you. He's bitter. Yeah, I think I think um, earlier this week when we, we were back and forth about these movies i was like why does michael Haneke hate us so much i know and like yesterday i was like i don't i don't know if i like him <laughs> like i have a i think it's yeah. like a complex thing because i really i actually really enjoyed funny games i thought it was a really like we'll talk about this in a later episode but i think watching his movies back to back to back was a bad idea in terms of just like breaking my spirit and being very negative over and over they again beat you up they beat you up exactly and like it's not horror in the traditional sense it's just like these very intense movies scrutinizing the world and in very violent shocking ways and very like visceral ways and how he films characters and so i think it's just like i'm unclear of how i feel about Haneke at the at the moment after watching four of his movies well, maybe after um, this series, we'll have how both of us feel. Because I think right now, after marathoning these movies, we're probably both, like, not quite happy with him. <laughs> a little burnt out. Also a little... researching him so much, finding out, yeah, a little, a little, just only a little. And then just seeing some of the asshole shit that he has to say, um, you know, maybe colors how we're going to talk about him a little bit yeah i think so just a couple quick things he originally wanted to be an actor apparently but he gave up on that when he didn't make it into the max reinhardt seminar in vienna did you see that no i did not see that he was like well 
fuck it. I'm not going to do that. Um, and he went on to study philosophy, psychology, and drama, which oh, is very obvious. Uh-huh. <laughs> so obvious in his work. When I read that, I was like, yeah, that's about right. Yeah. And then uh, he worked on just some odd jobs, including editor and film critic. Uh, he went on to direct TV films. Um, and then whatever happened, now he directs these can award winning films that we're going to be talking about right now. He also was um, a stage director. He did a lot of work oh, with yeah. stage stuff. Um, he directed an opera. So he's got a lot of, and I can see, and we could talk about this, like the kind of stage, like his background in theater <clears throat> can kind I can kind of see that in his movies. But so the first movie we're talking about is his 1992 movie, Benny's Video, which was his second feature length film. The first one was, I believe, The Seventh Continent. Dax, do you want to give us a little bit of a synopsis of Benny's Video before we launch into discussing it? So this says a 14 year old. This is IMDb, by the way. I didn't write this. It says a 14-year-old video enthusiast, that's one way to put that, is so caught up in film fantasy that he can no longer relate to the real world to such an extent that he commits murder and records an on-camera confession for his parents. I just have like a very quick issue with that synopsis. <laughs> he does um, not I'm record several, a, go ahead. He does not record a, a confession. No, he just confesses. He just shows the video to his parents. Yeah. Okay. And actually, he doesn't even confess. Remember, his father's like, please don't make me like pull every word out of you. Do you want to start us off on this um, hell ride? Yeah. So let's talk about kind of an overview of why this movie is so upsetting. And then we'll we'll talk about specific scenes. But I mean, I think, well, obviously in the synopsis, the most upsetting thing is this murder of a young girl that he just met. He brings her over to their apartment his a family apartment and then he shows her a video of them slaughtering a pig at i think their family farm or it's like a it's a meat um provider for their family store and he shows her the video of the of the pig being murdered um i think anton sugar from no country for old men it's like an air gun that they press against the animal's head and mm. yeah he stole that air gun and he, he, I don't think he mean he doesn't mean to necessarily, but he hits her with it once and then he hits it with her two more times to just kill her. Child death in film is obviously very disturbing, but the way that is this part is filmed particularly is these just like very long takes are a Haneke staple, very long takes of very upsetting moments. And the entire scene of him murdering and cleaning it up is all mediated through a television screen and so the disturbing moments here are just like this kid has absolutely no really emotional connection to the violence he's enacting it seems like and he just is kind of like so like disconnected and also a lot about of this is about what parents are willing to do for their children it's just like the whole thing just builds and builds and builds in this upsetting story of violence and trying to deal with that violence 
think maybe like we need to talk about Kevin sort of in that vibe of like sure. dealing with disturbed kids. So real quick before I like jump in, you don't think he meant to do that? Cause I totally think he meant to do that. She all but dared him. He dared her first mm-hmm. and she didn't do it. He holds the air gun up to her stomach and she tells him to pull the trigger and then calls him a coward. And that's when he pulls the trigger. So to me that, that kind of showed that he meant to do it. So you think he didn't mean to do it and then went on to do it because he wanted to just clean it up or get it over yeah, with? Yeah, I don't think he wanted- her misery maybe? Yeah, so I, I guess to me, I viewed it as like, he is a kid who stole this thing and like didn't really get it and understand how it worked exactly. Like despite filming it, it's that situation where you're filming violence, but not really processing it. Like that video camera is mediating how you view the violence. So it's almost like unreal. And so in stealing that, I think... Filtering it. Yeah, exactly. And so in taking it and like play, almost like he's playing with it because he's, te- he's a young kid and I don't think he understood what would happen to a human is how I read it. And then it happened and he was like, fuck, don't get me in trouble. Not like, oh my God, I hurt her. It was more like, fuck, mm-hmm. I'm going to get in trouble. And then he purposefully shoots her another two times that is how i well that's the fun of these movies yeah of of his directing because i totally interpreted it the opposite way i interpreted it as he wanted to see what it would be like on a human Mm. and he did it and then realized it was messy and she didn't immediately die like the pig did and then shoot her two more times to end it yeah that's how i took it but I don't think either one is wrong. Mm-mm. I don't think so. I think it's just like, how'd you view it? Mm. It ended in murder either way. So like. That actually, to take it back even further, the opening scene, I think, is another reason why people find this movie so disturbing. And I know I did. So just to explain what the opening scene is, we're watching a video presumably one of Benny's videos. And we see like a bunch of farmers like chasing a pig and kind of like holding a pig um by the tail and um they get outside i guess they're in like a barn or something i don't know how farms work but they get outside and one of the farmers (laughs) shoots the pig in the head like you said just play it once it plays it again on slow-mo and then i if i remember correctly it kind of fast forwards it it doesn't go away for quite a while i want to it was a few minutes long you know i i mean no one wants to see that that's disturbing but it kind of stuck with me because he has such this like moral high ground where he's like you don't care because you're watching movies that are violent um, yeah. and you think it's entertainment you know he, he touches on that i mean directly in funny games which we'll talk about but um it kind of upset me so i have a quote about sort of like his treatment of animals in movies Mm -hmm. because a lot of animals are harmed in the movies themselves. But when I was researching, I found out a lot of those animals are real and three pigs had to die for that scene. Holy shit. Yeah, that really upset me. And it kind of totally warped how I felt about him because, well, I guess, let me read the quote first and then I'll kind of, we can kind of talk about it. Mm -hmm. 
quote that I texted you earlier, it's a hierarchy of power, men on top, then women, then children, then animals at the lowest end. They're the ones that have to bear it. And that's actually a quote from that Guardian article that you were talking about by Peter Conrad. Presumably it was for the movie Amour. So I kind of want to talk about that for a little bit with you. Yeah. Um, So I wrote down, like, do you think this is a cheap way for me just to expand a little bit? Part of why I find it harder personally to watch animal cruelty in films, whether it's real or not, is because I don't know that the animal that it's acting in film. So when you see that pig squealing in terror, that's a pig really squealing in terror. And come to find out, it actually did die. That just kind of makes it worse. So I kind of want to talk about that with you. So it's really weird. The beginning of the film made me nauseous. And because of this, like, it's not looking away. It's making you view the violence. Like you have to watch it over and over and over again. And it's this like upsetting. Not me. I close my eyes. But if you think about it, the pig is be like, we kill pigs all the time for me. And this Mm. pig in the movie is being killed for its meat and the killing of three pigs for the point of entertainment though is squicky because yeah we kill pigs all the time to eat but does that mean they need to be sacrificed for the the sake of the film and like what does that do for the movie that it's fake versus real and actually seeing that death on screen it's like cannibal holocaust when you see the actual death of animals like you said, there's like the animals don't know what they're doing, like don't know what's going on. And it feels like a snuff film almost. I know it's animals, not people, but it just. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, you actually touched on something that I wrote down, like a thought that I had while I was researching. I was looking into it and I was like, do you think like a person who lives on a farm or who lives in rural America, where I feel like a lot of his films are like, he wants Americans to see them. Um, because he's so angry about media. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the case for Benny's video necessarily, but at any rate, would someone in rural America or anywhere like living on a farm feel that that was super disturbing like we did? Or he did that as one of his little pokes at people of privilege or people, you know, the, the quote unquote average person who maybe doesn't work on a farm, maybe lives kind of where we would live in our setting like what that's do you really, think about that's that that's a really cool thought i hadn't thought about it like that i think that's i think that's accurate though i feel like it is like a place of privilege where we're able to consume our meat and not think about where it comes from really not me are you vegan um not 100% vegan for personal reasons but okay. pretty much yeah um cool. it's been about 18 years oh shit wow yeah man i'd be about this life wow i'm i'm not sorry <laughs> Oh, well, I'm better than you. Yeah, probably. On a moral, spiritual, whatever. (laughs) It's fine. I already know I'm going to hell. That's cool. I'll see you there. But that's really interesting. And it is like, what do we as like urbanites find disturbing? And like, which, which in reality, but actually like the death of pigs is a reality in a lot of farms and how we eat, get access to our food. Like, that is a reality. And I also, okay, but this is also me thinking about how death of animals on screen is always so upsetting and people get so upset versus the death of people, which is, I think, interesting, this parallel between a human dying with that air gun versus the pig. 
but like playing with the like oh humans are so upset when animals die so let's just give it to them like right away and kind of like fuck with them and really set a tone for what is about to happen because boy oh boy once I saw that opening I was like this is gonna suck like (laughs) I was like there's no way that this movie is gonna be happy or I mean I Obviously, I need the description, but in seeing the opening, I was like, oh, fuck, like this is going to be as bad as I thought <laughs> in terms of like yeah. subject matter. Yeah, I agree. I actually had another thought while I was writing that thought about have those kind of websites, right? That are like, does the dog die? I think it's called. Oh, yeah. I use it. I don't want to see the dog die in anything. I don't want to see any animal die in anything which is an interesting thought because I'm doing the thing. I'm like, well, I need a warning before I go see this, you know, slasher movie. Does the dog die in it though? Right. I know I'm going to see men, women, and children die. And I, it's all about, I feel for him, especially knowing that he's philosophy and psychology, like a nerd, like me, it's all about cognitive dissonance. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Like, yeah, he, he's so, like on many levels, right? It's like what you're saying, you eat meat, make that cognitive dissonance in your head. You know that an animal had to die. You, you appreciate its sacrifice for you and you consume it, but you don't want to see it die, right? Yeah. But it, it just kind of find it a little bit hypocritical of him. Oh, because really? he's so angry. Yeah, because he's so angry that we find violence in media so entertaining. But when we're taking in, it's fake. When you see that dog die in whatever horror movie, it's most likely not really dying. But he actually killed those animals. He kills animals in other movies, too. Um, off the top of my head, I can't think. I know I read that he killed a couple fish. Oh, yeah. Uh, for a movie. But do you find that hypocritical that he's saying he's pointing the finger at us saying you like this, you find this entertaining and that's gross that you find this entertaining. He is actually murdering animals for his own selfish purposes. It's not like for food, you know, it's yeah. for our consumption in media. How do you feel about that? So if it was more obvious that he was killing them, I think it would be an interesting like statement on that kind of violence. But because like you don't know, like I didn't know that until you told me that he killed three pigs. So it is kind of hypocritical. Allegedly, I, I, allegedly. Alleged. Well, I read it on the internet. So take it with a grain of salt. But it is, I actually do agree that it is a little bit hypocritical. There's probably some deeper meaning about like he really takes it to the point of death and like, but I I don't really agree. I don't agree with that. But actually, so I wanted to to link that beginning, like very intense violence over and over again with how he does not show the death, like the killing of the young girl. Like he shows her bloody on the floor. Yeah, even in the video, it's slightly yes. off. Yeah, it's slightly off screen. So, and that's something I realized in a well, lot of- Well, that's a theme, it seems like, in yeah, a lot of his movies. I was going to say, it's all about, and I think this is worse, the sound of people dying. I agree. I absolutely. It, like, I was getting nauseous. Like, these cries of pain, like, actual pain. Like, I don't know how he gets those cries out of his act, out of his actors, but, like, the girl just like screaming and you can only imagine her squirming on the floor and like seeing this kid like telling her to shut up and you're wa- and like he won't let you watch it happen in real time like I said you're watching it through the tv screen of him filming his room so it's again a filtered experience of violence 
And it's almost like you're not twice watching. over, really. Exactly, exactly. And it's like you. It's like he's trying to detach, like show you, like oh, this detachment from violence and watching it through a screen, through a screen. Yes. And it's so fascinating. Like I, okay, despite my opinions of Haneke, I really do love the way he kind of films things like that. And I actually have a lot of feelings about his work having like found footagey elements and how I like love that mediation of truth and reality. Obviously, he's not trying to make these movies true, but it's this weird kind of cycle of like depicting truth in fiction that I think is very fascinating with his work. There's another movie of his, I think it's called Cash, that has to do with family getting like a box of surveillance videotapes that I I really want to see because a lot of his movies are about like surveillance state and filming people. Mm -hmm. And like, so I'm really, I'm interested in that kind of aspect, which is one of the reasons why I picked Benny's video to watch because I was like, ooh, found footage elements because of course. Kind of speaking to what you were saying about his life when he was working as a stage director, I think that actually, I didn't know that before you said that. And I think it's apparent in the way that he films things about detachment because for stage directing, you're, you're back here, right? And you're, watching everything in real time but because of that it's all like not necessarily i don't want to say flat you're set back away from all the action that's happening and i think that that really works well in this film i guess i'll say i'll clarify and say i didn't like this film we can get into that but i think his wanting us to be attached his stage direction um like directing stage plays I feel like that is very apparent in his films because I do feel very attached. I feel like I'm sitting watching someone watch something. Does that make sense? No, it does. I don't know if I'm getting my point across. No, no, but I I totally get that because this, well, because it's a second movie and I think he's still trying to develop his style. I think this one is a little bit too like, this one feels a little bit too on the nose, if you know what I mean. It's like violence is bad and disconnection from reality. It's just like very obvious. Um, even though he's not subtle, I think yes. this one is much more like fuck everything, fuck TV. Because, okay, I love the way he uses TV in his movies. Like he has the newscast on the background about the war, I think, in Croatia. And it's like in contrast to the violence yeah. happening in the domestic space. And it's like, it's so obvious. It's interesting, but yeah. I think this movie is just so on the nose, I think. And I wasn't a huge fan of it either especially the last act when they take the kid to egypt while the dad deals with the body but i don't know it <laughs> i yeah i wasn't really the biggest fan of the- yeah i so i wrote down kind of um to your point i said i feel so my note is i feel extremely detached with this movie i never feel like i see from benny's and i don't know if i'm meant to it seems like all of the scenes where he's quote on the outside looking in like at the mall with the TVs where he meets the girl mm-hmm. um, or when he's walking past like all the people, I think they're ice skating highlight the idea that we're supposed to feel completely cut off and that he succeeds in that. But it feels to me like a slog. I felt yeah. like it was so slow. I felt too detached from it. Yeah, I agree. And so something that links to that is again in the third act. So the parents are like, take him to eat. Like the dad said, take him to Egypt and I'll deal with the body, which is a whole other Mm -hmm. level of fucked up. But there's these, it goes on for a very long time of the mom filming Benny. 
and trying to make him seem like a happy kid who just made a mistake. And it feels like Haneke's trying to kind of mm-hmm. build him up as like a, oh, it's like a redeemable character. And I wasn't a really, I didn't really like that. I don't know. And I, I I understand he probably showed the Egypt scene rather than the dad getting rid of the body because he probably knows everyone wants to see him like ripping apart a little body and like getting rid of all of the nasty. And then we just get to see kind of like the vacation they go on. I do think that was a little bit of a slog. But one thing I want to talk about was the performance of the of Benny's mother. Yes. Because that... That was the thing in the movie that fucked me up more than anything was her performance. Mm. What was her name? So the mother's name is, oh, they just call her Mutar in IMDb, but she was played by Angela Winkler, who actually, she was in Suspiria, the the remake of Suspiria. No way. Yeah. Taste. Taste. But yeah, I'd love, I'd love to hear what you think about her performance as the mother of Benny slash a little sociopath. I really liked it. I thought she was realistic in a way that was upsetting. Yeah. I actually, I liked that the end of the movie followed her as she's um, with Benny in Egypt. You said, right. I can, I couldn't remember. I thought that was purposeful in a different way. I thought that um, it wasn't necessarily because we would expect or want to watch the dad getting rid of the body. But I more so thought that, It was so that we could see in that she is trying to humanize Benny. We can see that he does not give a single fuck. Like he is totally like, cool. He's like, oh yeah, we're in Egypt. Like there's nothing in the newspapers here. Okay, cool. I'm going to, yeah, you know, I just killed someone. (laughs) Whatever. It's fine. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. But I really liked her character. I I thought she kind of broke my heart a little bit because, um, you know, she's trying to make memories with her son, possibly because she feels like maybe it's the last time if he gets caught that she'll be able to do so. And then there's that scene, you know, where they're in the hotel, which I wrote down. I don't know if you noticed in that scene, it's two twin beds pushed together. Did you notice that? Yes. Doesn't that disturb you? Like, wh- I, I want to know what his thing is about twin beds pushed together. Yeah. Hmm. What's up with that? Anyway, that's, I digress. <laughs> that's just a personal nitpick where I'm like, get away. <laughs> that's the point. That's probably the point. Oh, I'm sure it is. Um, but in that scene, you know, she's laying next to her son and she's like, fine. And then all of a sudden she just starts like breaking down, crying. And she turns away from him and she's just like hysterical. That really like broke my heart. That was like the worst part to me. The way that she all of a sudden is like heaving and she falls off the bed and he's like, what's wrong? Like he's so Mm -hmm. nonchalant about like, why are you crying? It's like your parents are trying to save your life right now for better or worse, whether I agree with that or not. Yeah. And she's just like full body sobbing. Like she's finally, it's like finally set in. Like the denial is gone. Like all of a sudden she's realizing like her son is kind of a monster and she doesn't know how to cope with that. And she's been mm-hmm. trying and trying on this vacation to kind of like forget or trying to like, oh, it was a mistake coping with that. And then she just kind of realizes, I think, in the middle of such a mundane activity, like lying on bed, watching a sh- yeah. watching TV. She's like, this is not like, this is not, we're never going to be the same family. Like we're never going to be normal yeah. again. And maybe there's a little guilt there as well because oh, she yeah. realizes like, oh, I'm covering up a murder. 
Like, I didn't think she was like, my life was not supposed to go this way. This was not something I expected. <laughs> but then there's also exactly. the moment when Benny's like, hey, by the way, I killed somebody. And she's, I think when they wa- they're watching the video, the camera sticks on her face and she almost laughs. I think that she's so shocked or, like, yeah. or almost like she, maybe she's a stand in for us where we're like, like, how do you even react to that? Especially if it's your son. How do you react? Exactly. You just need to exclaim. Like, yeah, you can't believe it. Yeah, you're like, this is a joke, right? Like, are you fucking with me? Like, it it definitely feels like that where she's like, haha, like, or sometimes when like you're so upset, you can't help but laugh. Like, that happens to me when I'm just so upset. Like, I just laughing feels like the release I need instead of crying. Yeah. I'm absolutely a laugher. Yep. I laugh. I don't want to, but like when I go to funerals and stuff and everyone's crying, like, I laugh at my best friend's funeral. I made it my, for some reason, my job to go around making other people laugh, which is very inappropriate, but I didn't know what to do with myself, you know? Spreading a little bit of joy though, sort of, right? Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I, looking back, I would never do that now. You know, that was, I think, eight years ago. Yeah, but yeah, I'm definitely a laugher. I'm a joker. That's also why I am in therapy. We gotta love it. <laughs> You'll love to see it. I know. I actually, this is a digression, but like sometimes I say things in therapy about like my trauma and my life and I laugh and she's like, why are you laughing at that? And one time my psychiatrist, I did something with the same thing to my psychiatrist and he's like, I cannot get a read on you. I don't understand. <laughs> at least he's honest. I know. <laughs> he's like, I cannot get a read on why you're laughing about this. I'm like, it's how I deal with it. I don't know. Like I have to laugh at all this fucked up shit. Cause like, how else am I going to deal with it? That's why we like bonded. Cause we both make like very, like not self degrading. Just we, I guess view our lives as like events that happened and we can joke about it because that's better, I guess, than breaking down about it. Uh-huh. Maybe that's where she was, you know, where she's like, I, don't know what to do with myself. I need to be strong. I'll just exclaim this way instead of hysterically breaking down. And then later on, that's why, because, and you know this probably, it will come back to bite you in the ass and you will be sad. Uh-huh. Yep. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into like that kind of personal stuff throughout this whole podcast because these movies, they're going to bring it up. They are. And I also feel like it's important to talk about like, we like these movies. I mean, I, okay. I don't want to speak for you, but like, I watch these movies for catharsis because like, you know, I wanted to ask you. Yeah. Like, and I get this question all the time. Like I actually had a kind of an argument with my psychiatrist about this recently and I got really mad at him. Um, Okay. Go off. My, so I was trying to explain to my psychiatrist, like I really like rape revenge movies because as a sexual assault survivor, this is catharsis that I really enjoy from those movies. And I know not every survivor feels that way. And that's obviously totally fine and valid. But for me, it's the site of processing my own trauma. And he told me that seems very odd. And I was like, really? Like, that's the reaction you have to me but telling you it? my coping mechanism? And apparently, I feel like that's judgmental. It was. And I got really no offense, ang- but no, I got really mad. I got heated. Well, can I just say real quick, the reason I find that inaccurate is because like a lot of survivors become hypersexualized. That seems counterintuitive too, doesn't it? 
who is he? I assume he, because yeah. who else would fucking say that? Uh, yeah, who, who else? Like, you know what I'm saying? No, it's true, though. It's like, and it's shocking from a psychiatrist. Sometimes our coping mechanisms are counterintuitive. That's all I'm saying. And you don't need to judge it like that. Exactly. Like, People sometimes like this is the whole thing, like violent movies and upsetting movies. I also have OCD and I have really bad intru- like violent intrusive thoughts. And it's embarrassed. Like I get embarrassed. Like mm-hmm. I it's it's disturbing. And so these movies are almost like an acting out of this violence that exists in my head. And it, it is like helpful for me to be like, okay, this violence is happening in front of me. And it's like a catharsis for those feelings as well. Like, I just think that is, you know, confronting violence is good for me in terms of my OCD. As I I have found that personally. Um, Yeah. And I love that for you. And I, I feel very similarly. I think we have a lot of the same things that we've gone through or deal with. I also have OCD. Um, I have PTSD as well. Me and, too. You know, I, oh I have no problem talking about that. Oh, I'm sure. And I have no problem talking about <laughs> that with sure. you. <laughs> well, we're the same person. That's why. I know. I just look like, oh, I'm sure you have PTSD. <laughs> you know, I, like- I'm fully prepared. No, I, I'm ready to talk about that with you, with anybody um, who maybe has questions. You know, it took me a long time to get here, but I'm, I want to talk about it. I'm ready I'm, to. I'm the same um, way. And it's if, part of distinctization for me. Well, and so like, if anyone has ever read any of my work, that sounds so shitty and pretentious to say, but like I, as a- No, I definitely haven't. I'm a writer, if you didn't know. <laughs> but like- <laughs> I'm like a writer. I'm like a writer. <laughs> I like went to grad school. Palacini. Pasolini. Who, who was it you- Pasolini. Oh my god, it's not backwards. Please don't tell the other like Italian horror nerds that I just said that. I won't. Okay, thank you so much. But a lot of my writing, I write about being a, a sexual assault survivor, and I write about my OCD because I like OCD. It's always like a joke, and washing your hands over and oh, over yeah. again, and like not mm-hmm. sleeping on cracks. And I think it's crucial that people write about OCD as something more than just a joke. From a male person, like a lot of them are are men. Like there are very like, there's almost no representation of women with OCD. And I think men are more prone to have OCD. Am I correct? I don't actually know. I forget the statistic, but I'm pretty sure more men have OCD. Okay, interesting. That doesn't make it right, though, in my opinion. It like there should be more representation. You are correct. I just want to throw that out there, though. Yeah, I that's interesting. That- I didn't know that. But like OCD is also like not really ever portrayed except for jokes. And it's like so rare and writing about those kinds of things are like, I want like when, if one person, like I, when I write these things and people say like, you've made me feel seen, like that is why I write about that stuff because people like, Oh, you get it. And that's like, that's crucial to me. And like, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's really fucking hard to put yourself out there like that. But I think it's important if you're comfortable with it. Like, obviously, there's no pressure to, like, share your trauma with the world. But I'm glad that we can talk about it at least and be like, hey, guys, like, this shit happens Yeah, to people. Yeah, and I'm glad we feel comfortable enough with each other to talk about it. Because, you know, I was talking about um, this podcast with my therapist, who hopefully is listening because she's also a nerd. But Hi, Dax's therapist. (laughs) 
I don't know if she'd tell me if she's listening or not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> but we were talking about how, you know, these movies, it, these, these podcast episodes, they might be a little bit like a therapy session, not for real. Like, I'm excited to talk about it. Anyway, this is a whole digression, I guess. No, but I think it's, I think it's like a really important to talk about it and like, hey. I think so like, too. Yeah. And and similarly, I guess I should clarify, you know, attracted to these kinds of movies. It, it's very similar to you. I think a lot of these films, and especially films by Michael Haneke, uh, they sort of give you the opportunity to like, not only get some catharsis, but sort of put a reset on like you get to control your dread, right? I, I talked about that in my writing for Gaily Dreadful. Anyway, <laughs> but I, I talked about that in my article. You know, just you get to you get to control your environment, your intake, your dread. You get to control your new to be a little bit dramatic, your new trauma that you're going to get from this movie. Yeah. You decide it for yourself and it gives you a little bit of power, right? Yeah. I'm sure most people who take in these movies don't think, well, I'm going to watch this movie so that I get a little bit of power back for myself. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But it is a side effect. I mean, part of me, I'm just a curious person and I like, you know, seeing how people tick. And part of that is watching a disturbing movie by mm-hmm. someone like who... for some reason feels the need to make these kinds of movies i want to know like what's what's your deal i i'm just curious what part of me like i like to do a little bit of like introspection and and be like well why why do i like this why am i attracted to this movie today why am i repulsed by this movie tomorrow yeah exactly that's something that i experienced movies that I, I watched for the podcast, you know, mm. where I, I used to love it. And now I'm watching it and I'm like, why, what am I doing? Like, what am I watching and why? But I like that. And I'm sure you can relate. Yes. 100%. And like, I mean, the name of the podcast, yeah. watch once, never again. A lot of these movies I have watched once and I don't want to think about them or process them again. But like, yeah. it was interesting to go back to that, like the piano teacher, which I'll get in more depth into, but like watching it for a second time did make me appreciate it more. So it is interesting in like mm-hmm. rewatching these movies and when the sh- like the first kind of shock wears off, the way you can view them a little bit more detached, I think, and like see them as something more than just fucked up shit. I I think, you know, just to, I guess, wrap that up, I think a lot of these movies, people probably write off as just fucked up shit. And I disagree. Like, I feel like they have so much to say. Now, some of them maybe don't. I don't know. Does August Underground have to say to me? I'm sure we'll fucking find out. But (sighs) right now, off the top of my head, I couldn't fucking tell you. I don't know. Are we you gonna know? watch those movies? And, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that's one for the uh, special guest. <laughs> you do it. We're tired. Someone take over the podcast for that one. I actually haven't seen them. I'm scared, but I'll watch them in the name of podcasting. Ugh. Yeah. Well, that's actually like part of why I wanted to make this podcast, right? It's like, I've seen so many of these movies. I I mean, you're the same way, I think. Like you go on these lists, most disturbing movies of all time. Okay. I got to watch that one. Got to watch that one. Got to watch that one. And 
at a point you're like, you're talking to your friends and you're like, have you seen, you know, whatever insert, I'll just say like a Serbian film, right? That's a pretty popular one. Seen a Serbian film? Oh no, I'm not going to watch that. Well, I need to fucking talk about it. Exactly. Yes. Like my partner does not like these kinds of movies, which is valid. And so he's like, what are you watching? I'm like, oh, this fucked up movie, blah, blah, blah. He's like, what the fuck? But he's also like, but that sounds like you. Like, but there's no one to talk to about fat girl or (laughs) talk to about like panicky. And it's just like, this is going to be very helpful to processing emotions, like visceral emotions and reactions to movies that are just like really intense, but then digging into them. I think it'll be really fun. Yeah, I agree. I was just going to say, you know what movie actually made me message you finally? Do you want to guess what it was? Was it Fat Girl? No, it was Dancer in the Fucking Dark. That's, I inserted that. It's Dancer in the Dark. That I had this idea, right, for years. I was like, you know what? It'd be so cool to have a podcast where they only talk about these fucked up movies. But then I watched Dancer in the Dark. I was like, I cannot contain myself. I must talk to someone about this immediately. It like ruined me ruined me i still cry when i look at and i watched it in october it's february i need to get a grip i haven't <laughs> i'm so, so excited I for have, you to watch that movie. i know i'm a lot in, of von trier in the most I selfish have like, way yeah <laughs> there's like some von trier movies that i've seen and then i'm like yeah this is fucked up but like i think dance in the dark is like a whole other brand of fucked up that i'm just like not super prepared for but i also really want to watch it like i know it's a good movie so. it's great it's honestly so great okay um well getting back was there anything else that you noticed about the movie that you wanted to talk about i have a couple things that i want to hear from you i don't really like i I don't know. I didn't like take away a ton from this movie other than like what I've already talked about. So I would love to hear your, your more of your thoughts on it. Cause That's I just, fair. I did not, I don't know. Like you said, I didn't necessarily connect with it. And there was a lot of things where yeah. I was just like, oh. <laughs> well, there's something I did want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, it actually relates to something you brought up. It has to do with the use of television in his movies, mm-hmm. specifically the use of news, the like the news in Ben's yeah. video, um, where, you know, our bullshit, and now we're just left with the TV running, and it's a news program. I, I think you said it was about Croatia, a war, a war right? in Croatia, I believe. I wonder, we should have looked into that, because I wonder if that particular newscast has any sort of relevance, or if it was just really fucked up. And that's why he chose it. War is fucked up, it turns out. Well, I should look it up, but I think it's like I think it was probably relevant at the time. And I think this is like this interesting contrast between like violence in the world. I think we were talking like that kind of violence that we see all the time on television. That's just like part of being a person. Like it's real violence. Um I feel like the news, particularly at this time, um, was beginning to get more violent. Mm-hmm. And yeah. um I thought it was interesting that i think it was when he was showing his parents and then it cuts to a commercial right yep like after like i thought that was very interesting because it's sort of how especially american television you and i both know there the news is like violent 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 you're gonna die more at 11 like oh now there's this virus oh by the way there's a serial killer in philadelphia that for some reason no one's talking about and um more at 11 no i don't know about right now a lot of American news programs are like violence, violence, consumerism. And 
I, did you ever see Bowling for Columbine? I did. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably end up talking about that too. But remember in Bowling for Columbine where I, I want to say Michael Moore is talking to Marilyn Manson of all people. Um, Jesus Christ. Where I think Marilyn Manson may point out like how the news programs work in America where it's like, oh, you know, you're scared. So now we're going to bookend this with, with consumerism because you're scared, you're going to buy more shit, right? Yeah. I thought that relatedly, you know, maybe that was a little stab again at uh, privilege by, by Haneke, where he's like, you're watching this horrible shit and Marshall, I guess you're probably going to go buy shit. Or am I looking too far into that? That is very possible. No, though, I agree. I think, and especially take this jarring thing that takes you out of the violence so quickly. And you're like, Hey, yeah. go to Burger King. Like, hey, yay. Like, happy, happy. And you're like, it was so jarring. Yeah. It's like, dude, I just watched you murder a child. <laughs> like, I, I, I didn't <laughs> jump, but I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. You're like, like, what? What is happening? Because you're like, oh, yeah, it was a video because I already saw that happen. Yeah. Just something to think about, you know, just a little tidbit there. A little tidbit to consider. Well, I'm kind of out of thoughts on Benny's video. I didn't really connect with it either. I kind of thought it was a slog. It actually isn't super disturbing. It's just watching a kid walk around, be alone. Yeah. Be an asshole. Yeah. Again, I think this is Haneke, like, starting to get into his style. Yeah, for sure. So, Dax, would you recommend this movie? Okay, let me be more specific here. Would you recommend this movie to someone who has never seen a Haneke movie before? No, I wouldn't. I don't think it's his best by mm-hmm. a long shot. No. Um, I think that it makes his point, but I don't think it does it as graciously as some of his other films maybe do. I think it's kind of a slog. I think the acting is good in it. Um, it we didn't even mention it stars the guy who played Paul in funny mm-hmm. games as well yep. as Benny Arno Frisch. Mm-hmm. I want to say I'm probably saying that wrong. Arno Frisch, maybe it's probably that one. Oh, I, I wrote down uh, talking about him real quick. I wrote down a couple of his food choices because they just screamed serial killer to me. The milk fucking milk and pizza. That's the most disturbing thing about this movie. <laughs> what no. I also noticed is he, when he went to McDonald's, he ordered a burger and nuggets, no fries. I didn't even think about that. How very dare you, Benny? Like, I can't. That was so upsetting to <laughs> me. I was like, very dare he you. fucking ordered two proteins and no fries. Zero killer behavior. <laughs> That's my professional opinion. I agree. <laughs> I very much agree. So sorry to get us off track again. I love it. But yeah, I, I don't think I would recommend this movie. Just don't think it's gracious. It makes its point. I don't think delicately at all. And um, I don't want to be fucking yelled at like that, you know? Yeah. I don't like it, which is yeah. interesting as we get into funny games. Yes. But what about you? Would you recommend it? I don't think I'd recommend it to anyone but like a Haneke completionist. I just, if you want to experience his work, watch something different. Do you find it interesting that all of these films, except for the remake of Funny Games, they're all criterion. I was thinking about that. I honestly think it's the pretentious reason that the animals died. <laughs> oh, interesting. I also think they just have like a thing for Haneke. Yeah, definitely. I mean, of course. Oh, totally. Uh, but also, yeah, I think 
I think they're like, ooh, this film is deep. It's mad at the audience. It's making points. Like, I really think that's part of why this film got chosen. I don't think being in the Criterion Collection necessarily ever influences my decision if a movie is, like, recommendable. Oh, me neither. But am I going to buy it, though? Probably. Yeah. (laughs) I'm glad that I watched it on the channel before buying it because I do collect Michael Haneke films. Why? I don't know. Ask my fucking therapist. But uh, that's something that I do to myself. And I'm glad that I saw this one on the Criterion channel. I don't even know if you can buy it. I don't actually know if it's like a a Criterion release and just on the channel. I don't know. I don't know. But Uh, yeah. Stuff works. I just be buying it. The number, of, the number of things I have purchased and haven't actually seen yet is kind of embarrassing. I think that's just the way weirdo boutique DVD collectors are. That's how we are. Look, I, I just spent like an obscene amount of money on that Possession 4K. I almost did France. that. I almost, I Bitch, was I could not read not anything on that fucking page. I was guessing. I was like, this is probably where they want my address. <laughs> <laughs> but I bought it though. Do I even like that movie? Yes, I do. But like love it to the point where I need to special order it. And there's only 1,500 copies and I need it in 4K. That's a little much. But I got it though. I did buy my copy on eBay from Grace. The uh, Of Possession. It's just a DVD. It's like nothing fancy. It's like very cheap. And like it was cheap. Cause I was like, That's okay. I, I saw it. It's still and, extra. It's yeah. It's still extra. extra it's extra. Like was trying to find it. So I went to eBay to find it and I have a couple things coming. You turned me on to eBay actually for movies. I have a couple things. I coming. did. Yes. So I'm sorry. I know I'm fucked. It's fine. I but, really um, be on there. I really be on there. It's a dangerous <laughs> place, but yeah. Okay. That was our first episode. Talking about Benny's video and Michael Haneke. So, everybody, thanks for listening. Um, We hope you enjoyed it. Uh, I sure did. I sure fucking did. So make sure to smash that subscribe button. Bitch, I will quit right now. (laughs) Smash that subscribe button. (laughs) Leave us a five. I'm like pointing for no reason. No one can see me doing this. I do this all the time. I have like very excitable You're pointing at me. I know. Fucking do it, Tex. Fine. Rate and subscribe us. Give us a five-star review. That helps us, you know, algorithms and iTunes and whatever the fuck. Follow the podcast on Twitter at Wona Podcast, W-O-N-A Podcast. We also have a Gmail account. We do have a Gmail account. Same thing, Wona Podcast at Gmail. If you have any suggestions for movies for us to cover, movies that fucked you up, like, hey, let us know. You can also follow us on Twitter. I am at MB McAndrews. I'm at Daxie Bobbin, and yes, I'll spell it, at D-A-X-E-B-A-B-E-N. So make sure to follow us, follow the podcast, and thanks for listening, everyone. Okay, bye. Bye.